All right, Pumas, let's go. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Stoner Chicks Podcast, the podcast for stoners by Stoner Chicks. I'm Kayla Teal. I'm Phoebe Richards. I'm Stephanie Thompson. And I'm Grace Penzel. We're in person. We're in person. Phoebe, standing up. (laughs) I'm sitting down. But yeah, I can see each and every one of these beautiful faces right before me. Yeah, we're not in little squares on my laptop. (laughs) We should do this more often. Yeah, we should. What do you say, listeners? (laughs) Hey, stoners, before we do anything else, I need to thank (laughs) Alexis B. Alexis B is our new buddy over on Patreon. Alexis, thanks so much for supporting our art. That's so awesome of you. We love you. Do, 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 do. Oh, because we're in person, we have that fancy sound effect. No more Stephanie noises. <laughs> Is there a fart button? Did we already go over this? There is this? not, but we can program one. I don't know how to do that. Do you want to do the recording? <laughs> do you want me to record a fart coming out of my butt? Is that what you Where want? else would the fart come out of? My mouth. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> okay. I like that option better. Um, so yeah, thank you, Alexa. Sorry we started talking about farts. Um, <laughs> we have an awesome episode planned for you today. We're we're really stoked. There's, we're doing some things today we've never fucking done before, right? Oh my god, we're doing things that's new to us, new to you. We're going right up to the edge, and we're looking down into this canyon, and we're going to have a reckoning with ourselves, because either we are going to transcend... Or we are going to live like this forever. And either way, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to live like this forever. I'm going to learn how to smoke. How? (laughs) (laughs) In any case, (laughs) oh boy. We're high. We just ate a big meal together and I feel like all of us are just like just full and sleepy. So we're going to yes. we're going to try to bring the energy for you, everybody, by announcing a new sub segment of a previous segment. That's right. We have Beethoven goes to the opera colon hitting the high notes. That goes down nice. Welcome. <laughs> so when we did Getting Beethoven, I had wanted to do some opera. So um, I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. The Santa Fe Opera is a very cool opera house. It is open air. So at the back of the stage, it actually opens looking into the hillsides and you can see the sun setting behind <gasps> the opening scene sometimes. Wow. But as we all know, opera is very um there's a bunch of glitz and glamour kind of surrounding it it's it seems fancy it seems like something only the the bougie and uptight do and well i'll tell you that it is unreasonably expensive overall and a lot of mostly wealthy old people were the patrons at the santa fe opera because that was my first job was as an usher as an usher at the santa fe opera Yeah, i remember you talking about the first time you smoked weed was with your cute co-worker at the opera oh yeah yeah (laughs) 
Yes, <laughs> early, early. Yeah. But even before working at the opera, my mom has been taking me every summer since I was four years old because they used to have a deal at the Santa Fe Opera where you could take kids to the dress rehearsals and they would have like a talk for the kids beforehand to try to explain things. And then uh, you were allowed to bring two, like one adult per kid in for like an extremely discounted amount. So my mom would essentially use me to get discounted tickets <laughs> to the opera. <laughs> and um, Smart mom. But I was indoctrinated at a young age. I remember watching like recorded renditions of the magic flute before she actually took me to it. We would sometimes go over the librettos, aka the books, before we would go in her attempts to not have me fall asleep halfway through because <laughs> they go very late at night. Operas are very long. Very long. And I'm not going to go into the whole history of operas, but what I do want to say is that opera is not completely lost on stoners. In fact, I found an article from Playbill from 2006. So this is even before there was any sort of legalization anywhere. And the title of this is Study. One in four classical lovers like cannabis. Opera uh -huh. fans prefer mushrooms. <laughs> oh. So this is by Vivian Schweitzer. She says, the BBC reports that the study by psychologist Adrian North of the University of Leicester surveyed 2,500 Britons to analyze how their musical preferences reflected their lifestyles based on questions regarding living arrangements, political leanings, and hobbies, for example. So the study reveals that more than a quarter of classical musical fans have tried cannabis, while 12% of opera lovers have experimented with hallucinogenic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And this compares to fans of musicals who are reportedly the most squeaky clean with low levels of drug-taking, drinking, and criminality. <laughs> Not surprised. <laughs> so I just thought that that was funny that that was even a yeah. thing. And then a second sort of weed-in-the-news-style thing about opera is, this is from 2005, German opera includes pot smoking by both performers and audience. What? The performers at Nuke Ilner Opera House production of Saint-Saison's Princess Jeanne smoke pot on stage. Cool. So the opera tells the story of a man in love with a portrait of a Japanese princess. Under the sway of a hallucinogenic poem, he confuses the portrait with his own fiance. So... The Opera House asserts that artistic license will protect it from drug laws. It's a test to see just what we can get away with, Glockson says, who I guess is the company's art artistic director. But I think that that's pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to back that up, there is an article in The Stranger from 2013 that makes the case for going to see an opera stoned. Oh, cool. Funnily enough, it coincides with the opera that I brought for you because I could talk about a lot of things, but I'm going to just talk about one opera, which is La Boheme. Ooh, I've heard of this one and I'm pretty um, uncultured. Okay, yeah. So La Boheme, I think, is pretty ubiquitous. It's used in a lot of things. It takes some inspiration from it for the plot of the musical Rent. I don't know if you knew that. Wow. <laughs> the main character in Rent is called Mimi. To be honest, I hate Rent. <laughs> That's okay. <So. laughs> Hot take. Yeah. <laughs> Mimi here, not a fan. But anyway, uh, to dive into it, because I do think that this is one of the more accessible things, especially for us as artists. La Boheme 
is based on a play by Saint de la Vie de Bohème, or A Bohemian Life, by Henri Merger. It portrays Paris in 1830 and shows the bohemian lifestyle of a poor seamstress and her artist friends. So amongst all of them, they've got a painter, a philosopher, a singer, all of these guys, and a writer um, who, Rudolfo, the main guy, he's the writer. I love hearing stories about like old timey um Hippies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Artists. Yeah, exactly. And so there was already a play based on the book that had been written, Scenes from a Bohemian Life. And there was another composer who was trying to write the opera at the same time as Puccini. Oh, race to the finish line. And Puccini beat him. And so his version, like, won out, essentially. So what happened to the other guy? He came out with the opera, his opera, a year later, and it just, like, didn't pick up traction. <laughs> and some critics argue that that other guy's opera was actually the better version, but because Ooh. Puccini's came out first, it just Ooh, I'm like, gonna listen to both. swept everything. But um, uh, La Boheme was the headlining opera the first year that I worked there as an usher. So I saw it probably 15 times at least over the course of the summer Wow, because I was there every night just watching it. So I connected to it a lot and decided to share an aria from it. Oh, I forgot Ooh. to say, I'm so sorry, that um, Puccini was 38 years old when this opera was produced. And the conductor at the first performance in Turin, Italy, was Arturo Toscanini, who was 28 years old at the time. So these were just young artists themselves. So wait, this is about a story from the 1830s. When was it actually produced and written? 1896. Okay. But yeah, so it takes place in 1830s Paris. Essentially, there's four artists that live together. The main two are Rudolfo and Marcello. They're all going out to party a little because one of them got a windfall of cash suddenly. But Rudolfo forgets something and this seamstress, Mimi, shows up and is like, my candle went out. I need a candle. I'm so cold. <laughs> and he lights her candle and then she's like, now I can't find my keys and he's like searching with her in the dark and it gets steamy they're like oh i love you so much so this was like the original oh i'm all wet can i come in yeah okay. that sort of is thing. that your line Kayla? <laughs> it's like the topanga is what i call it mm -hmm. <laughs> and then that's basically the first act Yes. 
the opening of the second act, we find them at this cafe and there's like a parade going on. All the kids are there. There's sort of a convivial attitude. And suddenly we meet Musetta and she's this like very stylish. She's a singer and she comes in and everyone is singing like, here comes Musetta. And essentially she's with this older guy who she's using for his money. Like she's just going around with this guy and she's really kind of promiscuous. She loves to just like sleep with a lot of people and party all the time. So she used to hook up with Marcello, Rudolfo's roommate, and he's trying not to pay any attention to her. It's like an ex who you don't want to see with someone else. Mm. And meanwhile, she's just flaunting herself trying to get his attention because she doesn't care to be with this old guy anyway. This aria is called Musetta's Waltz or Quando Monvo. So this is a performance by the soprano Olga Kulchinska, and it was performed at Grand Théâtre de Liso with conductor Marc Piolet. So this guy sitting at the table, that's Marcello, and, she, and then the old guy is on the left with her packages. And they're all like saying, oh, here she comes. And so she's like flirting all around. Love her dress. Yeah, so they set it at different times, and this seems to be some sort of World War One setting, maybe. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Marcello is a baritone. Thing, isn't she? 
Can we support this relationship? Are these two meant to be together? It's like an on-again, off-again sort of thing with them. The tragedy in their lives is not from each other. supposed to be portrayed as one of those sort of fiery relationships it's not always the most healthy but they really do love each other or at least are very into each other and then she just grabs his hair So I wanted to tell you first what the translation of what she was saying was. I wanted you to be able to focus on the vibe mm-hmm. of the thing. Mm-hmm. The vibe. Which, I mean, her voice is incredible. Yeah. So she says, when I go all by myself through the street, people stop and look. And everyone looks at my beauty from head to foot. And therefore I savor the subtle desire which emanates from their eyes. And from the obvious charms is understood the hidden beauty. Like this, the flood of desire surrounds me and it makes me happy. And you who know, so that memory is tearing you up. Why do you fly from me so much again? I know very well that you don't want to speak about your agony, but you feel yourself dying. Whoa. She's saying like, everyone is looking at me going around and you're pretending not to, but you know what lies underneath all of this and it's killing you. It's tearing you up to be here with me. It looks like it is. Yeah. (laughs) So good. I have so many great memories of this opera. Oh, really? You've seen this? Yeah, I saw this at the Seattle Opera House and it was the one my mom played the most. Oh, cool. Wow. That was great. Thanks for sharing. Now I really want to go to the opera. No, I really want to go see it. I really want to. (laughs) So I think that we should all go to the Seattle Opera. I've only ever been one time. I have never been. Many years ago. But it's so fun to just get a little dressed up and go. And I'm sure that we can find a way to get cheap tickets because it's not even that much about like being up close or having the best seats like you're gonna get good sound wherever you are in an opera house it's gonna be an experience in itself and to be with my three besties and i've been to the opera a good amount of times as a child my parents always took me i don't think i've ever been to the opera high well we gotta get freaking baked baked all right night at the opera stoner chicks edition i'll check out the upcoming schedule yeah <laughs> the schedule it's on the docket <laughs> anyway so thank you for hitting the high notes mm-hmm. you know it's cool so we're at an in-person we are actually going to take a smoke break here in a second and our smoke break is going to be us watching nine to five what a way to make a living and we're going to be recording a watch along, I believe. And then if you're on Patreon, you can listen to it. So that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to come back and talk about it. So we'll join you after the smoke break for Stoner Movie Book Club. Hope you enjoyed your smoke break. We, in our smoke break, watched 9 to 5, 
and recorded a watch along with it. Yeah, so if you want to watch the movie with us, we're going to upload that to our Patreon. Yeah, and so it is now later at night. Grace is in a little bed of a beanbag and my scarf and a blanket and her hat. It's very cozy. How did you like the movie watching experience, Grace? I made me know to fall asleep a couple times. (laughs) But uh, yeah, we watched nine to five for let's see if Grace is willing to do it at all. For what, Grace? Stoner movie book. Club. Beautiful. Just a little right. just a little sleepy one. <laughs> so here I'll do a better one. Stoner <laughs> movie book club. Wow. Mom. Amazing. So nine to five is a nineteen eighty comedy directed by Colin Higgins, and it stars amazing actresses. Name a few. Jane Fonda. Lily Tomlin. Dolly Parton. And other Other people. people. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And the movie is about three working women who live out their fantasies of getting even with and overthrowing the company's autocratic, sexist, egotistical, lion, hypocritical, bigot boss. And they say that multiple times. <laughs> I think at least that could be the drinking game with the movie yeah. is drink every time they say all of those words in relation to their boss. And so we watched it. None of us was it our first time. This is one of the most recommended movies we have gotten from listeners to watch with Stoner Movie Book Club. It's incredible. Yeah, there's some good stoner scenes. Great stoner scene. So just quickly, I mean, we probably already all had these opinions, but how do we just all feel about this movie? I mean, my God, it is so fun. I mean, anything that sort of stick it to the man feels great. But something that addresses workplace harassment so head on. And then all three of the actresses' performances are just out of this world. Powerhouse performances. It was Dolly Parton's very first movie. Wow. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she's great. Does she have a lot of other movies? Yeah, she's made other movies since. Best Little Whorehouse? Wait, what's it called? Best Little Whorehouse in Texas? Yeah. I really enjoy this movie for a number of reasons. It just feels like one of those classic movies that you like to watch. The, I mean, the soundtrack's amazing, where Dolly Parton literally wrote that song with her nails, her acrylic nails. Wait, really? Yeah, she start, She wrote that song with her like acrylic nails. Oh my God, funny. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such a good title song of a movie. It's legendary. It was the first movie that Jane Fonda's production company that she had just started produced. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Ooh-wee. And their fucking hairstyles throughout were so wild. Oh, and the wardrobe. Yeah, it's very kind of Golden Girls meets Working Girl. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Lily Tomlin reminded me, I used to spend, I worked in white collar office offices for like 10 years and Lily Tomlin's character really not to toot my own horn reminded me of myself I'm just like I'm a really good multitasker once I learn my job you know I can do anything like you know you just mm-hmm. know the flow of everything after a little bit yeah you're getting that nice flow, workflow that workflow <laughs> reminded me of myself a little bit 
And my favorite character is not one of those three women, although I have huge lady crushes <laughs> on all of them, but uh, the lush secretary. What does lush mean? Just alcoholic? Yeah, they keep calling her a lush in it, right? It's not the uh, word they called her? They do, and I think they also call her another word. She's just I the, just like, never heard that one before. Oh, really? I guess. A lush? Yeah. I'm an 80s baby. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a kind of an antiquated word for like a functional alcoholic. Oh. Yeah. Like, ah, uh, yeah, uncle, he's such a lush. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, she gets help towards the end. Well, yeah, that's the thing in this movie. I mean, this isn't a spoiler, is it? Because y'all should have watched this movie. It's from 1980. <laughs> yeah, and it's I think classic. it's okay to say spoilers yeah, from... The ladies all end up kidnapping their boss and making sort of a human chandelier out of him <laughs> and but not where he's dead hanging right. as a chandelier no. he's just on a cord they have a remote and they can pick him up and make him dangle from the ceiling it's and like a very high tech yeah because lily tomlin knows how to fix garages and stuff oh, like that. Right. She's a single mom. she has to be able to fix things herself i forgot they set that up in the beginning and it mm-hmm. really pays off it really pays off this and so while he's hanging from the ceiling and tied to this bedroom, they pretend that he's changing all of the like protocols in the office and they add like a daycare program and like allow part time and they make it that you can come in whenever you want to work, sort of. And it goes real well. Yeah. While he's gone, they fix everything that's wrong with the business because they're savvy as hell. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but when I was watching it, it was because I was in an improvised parody of this movie called Eight to Six. Yeah, I remember that. It was so fun. So I was like studying this movie that whole time and like going to thrift stores and buying outfits to look like Cute. that it, office wear from that time period. We'll post pictures. You looked great, Kayla. The whole thing. It was extremely fun. Oh, yeah. We should post a picture of my costume. From yeah, that. definitely. For sure. Ooh, and there's some uh, hot cowgirl role playing in this movie. Grace, yes. you woke up for that. Look, I mean, all three of the women in this film are, you know, I just blush at the sight. Um, <laughs> Especially but, when they're in cowgirl outfits. Yeah, but I just, I, I almost, okay, here's the thing is like, it is kind of a sexual fantasy, but I'm conflicted because I respect these women, these <laughs> women so much and they're so much of my elders that I'm kind of like oh, don't think of them like that you know but at the same time god yes wonderful cowgirl fantasies <laughs> well stoner chicks as we know why we picked this movie is because they smoke weed in it so let's talk about that there's an awesome scene where Lily Tomlin's son has given her a joint what is it slipped it in her purse yeah she has a lot of you know how i feel about marijuana and they have this kind of back and forth and he's like yeah but it's about moderation mom and they go back and forth for a couple times she goes fine just slip it in my purse (laughs) and he does and she takes it to work the next day and they're at the bar with jane fonda and dolly parton which is doralee and judy and and they've had it they're fed up with their boss They've had it, and she's trying to convince them to smoke it in the ladies' restroom. Smoking in the girls' room. But they end up going to one of their houses and smoking, and it's just like the best getting stoned scene. Like they're all laughing and elated. And uh, Jane Fonda's character had been like, I did it once, and it did nothing happened to me. I don't think it'll do anything. And so it's her first time. Yeah, and she's so giggly. She gets the giggles <laughs> so bad. And they have the biggest buffet 
of, of munchies. munchies food. That's like an entire table of every kind of food. Yeah. Doesn't one of them say, God, food's never tasted so good. There's yeah. the line. I think that was Jane Fonda again. Yeah. This tastes incredible. <laughs> so yeah, usually we discuss how we think the film feels about weed or how it treats it. And I'd say in this, it's a pretty casual weeds, whatever, smoke it. Yeah, I love that it was they chose to include this in the movie. It's kind of a it's kind of what bonds the characters together and makes them friends. And I also loved at kind of towards the end of the movie, Ju- Jane Fonda's character Judy, her ex-husband comes and they're arguing and she goes, "And you know what? I've also smoked the pot." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guess what yeah. else I've done? William's ex-husband. She's like, "I've also been smoking pot." <laughs> Okay. Oh, and then also, I, okay, so to a certain degree, I do think that the pot scene kind of set up the sort of dream sequence bridge mm-hmm. that right. was the kind of turning point for their friendship and, and their actions for the rest of the movie because they were stoned. And so each of them started imagining how they would kill this motherfucker who this guy is so fucking he's terrible he's awful he hits on them Um, all the time he sexually harasses them belittles them you name it all the bad things so it's definitely good that they take the power back and like weed kind of lets their minds loosen up to be able to sort of break out of their binds because when they when they're at the bar before they smoke they're all so mad and feeling helpless and it's the sort of thing that I think all of us would feel after a long day of having people just getting in your way and sometimes you really do just need to smoke a little get perspective on the whole thing doesn't necessarily change your feelings about things but it changes your mindset enough and it made them able to laugh about it yes and really bonded their friendship like weed brings them fully together as girlfriends yeah just like in fun mom dinner yeah, just like in Fun Mom Dinner. Okay, let's let's figure out our bong ratings for 9 to 5. I feel like we should start with Stephanie because she's probably seen this movie the most. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Out of five bong rips, I'm going to give this one a solid four. I love this movie. It's a classic. I can keep coming back and watching it. And it has a great representation of, I think, a nice pot scene. So... Yeah, good old fashioned ladies pot party. Good old fashioned ladies Ladies pot pot party. (laughs) Yeah. What about you, Kayla? I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5 bong rips. Wow. I love this movie. And I even like felt like there were some aspects of stoner comedies in it. Like yeah. that whole fiasco at the hospital where she she thinks she's killed the boss and she steals a body. She like <laughs> digs herself into this deep hole and it really felt kind of stoner comedy-ish to me. Well, and we were saying, I mean, in terms of like stoner comedy kind of slapstick stuff at the beginning when Jane Fonda can't figure out how to use the printer and the pages start just flying out at her and she like falls down. (laughs) It's so like... Well, you guys said it. I love Lucy just like gonzo bananas. So Yeah. Slapstick is a mainstay of a lot of stoner comedy, and there was definitely a good amount of slapstick and prop comedy in this movie. How about you, Grace? What do you give it? 4.69, baby. Wow. <laughs> it's because of those cowgirls. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeehaw. I want to change my no. Phoebe, what? Oh, Steph, what? 
Yeah, Steph, what what's it? yours? It's 4.5 now. Okay, <laughs> 4.5. Well, Phoebe's going to do 3.5. Whoa. All right. Wow. I think it's kind of uneven, and there's parts of it that kind of lag in the middle for me, but I do love those three icons. I will say I did fall asleep, but that's also because I'm almost completely horizontal, and we smoked so much bong. Yeah, well, we did. we're such stoners and it's late, and so we're about to end this episode, but I, we almost forgot. We're going to try something really quick. Oh, oh yeah. Taste test. I bought this bag called Candy Pop Popcorn M&M's Minis in clusters of popcorn because I thought it looked disgusting, <laughs> and then I showed it to Kayla, who said... That looks fucking delicious. That looks delicious. So we're gonna find out. M M&M and M popcorn, and just for the record, Grace and Stephanie have already dug into no, this. No, I bag. didn't. I didn't have. I any. did. <laughs> Stephanie entered the room, chowing down on it, and I was like, "That's for the episode." To be fair, we then forgot until just now to eat it in the episode. All right. Yeah, I don't see how you can go wrong with chocolate popcorn and M and mini M and M's. It tastes great. Okay. It's really good. Mmm. Oh, Grace wants more. The hand is up. Okay. It tastes like popcorn and chocolate, which are it's a good combo. I love my salty and sweet. I could use some more salty. That reads as very sweet to me. It could definitely use a little bit more salt. Also, we've all already eaten so much popcorn today. It's been a popcorn kind of night, and it's late at night <laughs> for us, world ladies. <laughs> it's the middle of like the day. Eleven thirty. My God, Kayla, I think you got some things to say. I like it. Yep. <laughs> I agree. Um, I could do with some more salt, but it's M&M chocolate on M&M's. I mean, popcorn. It's it's M&M chocolate on m That's what I'm tasting is some M&M's and some more M&M's. <laughs> Where are the minis? There's not that many. Must be at the bottom of the bag. Yeah. There's a complaint. Four stars. <laughs> four. Oh, I'm like two and a half. <laughs> That's your complaint is four stars. Four stars. <laughs> M&M sink to bottom of bag. <laughs> Grace is like desperately trying to grab the bag, but not get up from the beanbag. Yeah, Grace is recording on the floor in a beanbag. Yeah. And her hand, her little hand just reached onto the table. My little chocolatey fingers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm out. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to this episode. What a wild ride. We got opera. We got nine to five. And you can get more of us if you go to stonerchickspodcast.com. Anything you want to know, anywhere you want to go, you can go on there. To listen to our 9 to 5 watch along, you can subscribe to our Patreon starting at $3 a month at patreon.com slash stonerchicks. Email us your high thoughts to stonerchickspodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on Instagram at stonerchickspodcast, on Twitter at stonerchickspod, and at broccolibroads on TikTok. We're all up in the interwebs, so any way you want to get a hold of us, you can. Also, Facebook.com slash stonerchicks for 2069, <laughs> I think. Um, pro. What? I just said pro. Pro. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, Grace, what do stoner chicks always say? When they see me walking by, they all love me. Her mouth is so full of M&Ms and popcorn. <laughs> Wait, let me try again. Let me try again. <laughs> Puccini did the opera better. <laughs> Do yourself a favor and get a little high before you go see it. Musetta is excellent. <laughs> <laughs>
All the stoner chicks say it. All the stoner chicks say, Musetta is excellent. Excellente. Smoke, Smoke your, your weed, weed, listeners. 